Hello, everybody. My name is Denise Robinson. Welcome to the Treach Podcast. I'm taking over as your host today. I'm going to ask the questions. How's that? Welcome, everybody, to the Life Plus God Podcast. My name is Alyssa Robinson, and I am your host. Not Denise Robinson, Alyssa Robinson, but I do have Denise here, and uh, to most people, she is known as the director of adult discipleship, but to me, she is known as mom. So welcome back. Hey there. Glad to be here. I have asked you to be on this episode. Obviously, this is not your first episode, but today we're asking the question, how do I read the Bible responsibly? Which is kind of a weird question, uh, but I wanted to bring you on because I don't know if a lot of people know this about you uh, because I had to ask, but you have read through the Bible at least 15 times, cover to cover. That is correct. I have done that. And I've had other people join me in that journey. Yeah. So you have read through the Bible quite a few times. And I don't think I've even read through it in its entirety once. Like, I think there are probably books of the Bible that I've never even cracked open before. So, Well, and that's pretty typical because most people that decide they're going to read through the Bible, they read Genesis, they love it, they get to Exodus, they're okay. Then they get to Leviticus and say, I'm done. Yeah. (laughs) I want to talk through reading the Bible responsibly, and it's kind of playful in the same realm of drink responsibly, (laughs) do, you know, just living responsibly, have fun responsibly. Have a designated reader. Are there, yeah. Are there irresponsible ways to read the Bible? Wow. You're starting right in to the hard questions. Well, I didn't even warn you about that one. That's right. Well, you know, one of the things, well, let me back up and first tell you that I am sharing my opinions in this. I have not taken a single course on Greek or Hebrew. Give your disclaimer. Yes, my disclaimer. (laughs) This is the non-scholarly approach. Heck, my degree is in accounting, by the way. So, you know, I can explain the... And that's how she made it through Leviticus. Money passages. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. So I personally think the very first thing every single person should recognize is any time anybody tells you how they interpret the Bible, it's their opinion. There, and that right there is responsibility, is saying that for forefront, I interpret this this way. I understand this to mean this. And no matter how hard I try, I'm going to bring my own biases mm-hmm. into how I read. I'm going to bring my own knowledge of of and experiences into how I read it. And even if I try to to separate myself from that, I'm still going to get that. Well, and I'm definitely one of those people who has been accused of speaking my opinion as if it is fact. I know I do it. I know I do it all the time, especially if it's a topic that I'm really passionate about. So I think that that is a good reminder of any time that someone is sharing their interpretation of scripture or trying to teach you about scripture, it comes from a place of bias and opinion. And just because they got something out of a verse doesn't mean that you have to get the exact same thing out of it. Exactly. And so I think I think that's the number one way to recognize yourself and then recognize when someone says, well, it's really clear. No, 
a lot of things in the Bible aren't clear at all. So those are, to me, that's not responsible to even say, well, it's really clear. It's right here. It says this, and there's no discussion because that's just not reading it responsibly. I also think that pulling out a verse and just um, saying, hey, this is where I'm going to land, and this is what I believe on this verse, and pulling it out and don't look at all around it is very irresponsible. Uh, I read a story this week that I thought was really funny where a a young man um, decided to, his sister had a group of, a bunch of grapes that she had bought in the refrigerator and he wanted them. And so he found the verse that said, eat as many grapes as you want, put a Bible verse on it and ate her grapes. But the Bible verse wasn't about just eating grapes. It was about sharing it with those who didn't have anything. Well, that's irresponsibility, isn't it? Just mm-hmm. pulling that verse out and using it that way. And people do it all the time. They share a verse out of context. They even change it to mean what they want it to mean and say, but it's clear. It's in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, I think that... Um Claiming the Bible is clear and easy to understand has always been a big red flag for me because I feel like if that were the case, we wouldn't have to have seminary. We wouldn't have Bible scholars. We wouldn't have 2000 years of debates around what scripture means. And then one of the things I've shared this before, but one of the most frustrating acronyms I've ever heard is... Uh, I know what you're going to say. B-I-B-L-E stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. I'm like, this is not a book of instructions, nor is it basic. (laughs) That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And those are important things as we delve into reading the Bible. And I'm going to tell you, I love the Bible. Uh, Not only am I doing that professionally, sharing, being the director of adult discipleship and trying to get others to engage, because I firmly believe it makes a difference. When I read the Bible, I always have more questions than answers, and nothing is clear often. And there's stuff that I laugh and say, man, I've never even knew that was in there. Mm -hmm. And I've read it 15 times all the way through. And well, okay, so, so why is reading scripture such a passion for you? Where did that come from? Because there aren't very many people who can say they've read through the Bible that many times. Even the most devout, faithful people have not read the Bible cover to cover 15 times. And first of all, I want to say that's not a brag. That's just a lifestyle for me. That I that... brag about it to other people. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you have questions about the Bible? My mom has read through the Bible 15 times, so let me give you her number. No, no, <laughs> please don't do that. Please don't do that. For me, it actually started, it's interesting. So I grew up, I grew up in a church home. And so Sunday school always had the basic stories. I grew up in the era of uh, flannel graphs. Do you remember those? I don't know what that is. So it's a piece of flannel and they would stick pictures, uh, stick figures of Bible story characters on it as they told the story. Oh, like felt boards? Yeah, felt boards. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) We called them flannel graphs. And so anyway, I grew up in that era. and, And of course, as a child, you're hearing the Bible stories from a child's perspective, and you're just listening and you're taking it in and not really understanding it. Then as an adult, I started out in ministry and youth ministry. And what I would do is I would decide, oh, 
I think the youth need to talk about friendship this week. And so I would go to this big book called A Concordance, and I would look up the word friendship, and I would find 15 passages that had to do with friendship, and I would choose to present that to the youth. And I called that Bible study. We moved to Tennessee, and there was not an opportunity for me to do youth ministry. And so I was even struggling with where I was going to serve. And one Sunday, we'd only lived there six months, and one Sunday, a gentleman came up to me and said, would you please lead our adult Sunday school class in December? And I said yes without even thinking, and I went home and had a panic attack. I had never taught adults. I didn't even know that much about the Bible except for these cherry-picking times I had done that, but I had already said yes. The good news, it was in December, so I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just share the Christmas story. That'll be easy. And then I started really delving into the Christmas story, and I found all kinds of nuances. I found discomfort. I found questions. I found curiosity, and I loved every minute of it. And you found all that before Google existed. And I found it before <laughs> Google existed. So I would sit in, in the room that I had set up as, a, as my study place, and I would have seven or eight books all around me that I had picked up from the library or bought or the church had given me or different things like that to do the research. Still to this day, the Christmas story is one of my favorites to share because of that very first, very first encounter with the word. And I shared it. The Obviously, I did an okay job with the class, who, by the way, I was early 30s, and they were 60 and over. So I was a little intimidated that, okay, they're going to know that I'm fake right away. And it went well because I had done my research, and I presented in such a way that had questions and answers and conversations. And, um, and then they said, oh, can you come back? And so then I did the road to the cross and looked at everything that happened the last week. And then the next thing I knew, the church said, would you lead disciple Bible study for the church? We lived in Tennessee. So I had the opportunity to go to Nashville and train. The church sent me to a two-day training with the authors of the disciple Bible study. I didn't realize then what a great honor that was, but it really was. And so they opened my eyes to a whole new thing. And that's the first time I read through the Bible all the way through was when I led Disciple. And from there, I just, it became a lifelong passion and grew from there. Well, and you've become known as one of the leaders at this church. When you lead a class or you lead a Bible study, I think that people enter it expecting to be challenged. And from what I've heard, well, I hope uh, so. expecting to um, be pushed outside their comfort zone of what they thought the Bible was um, and how they've always interpreted stories and stories that we've covered from childhood that always had the same moral to the story, you're bringing them into a class as an adult and saying, mm, that's not actually what the story is trying to tell us and really, really pushing people. What are some things that we should understand about the Bible as a high at a high level? Like if someone was going to take one of your classes and you're preparing them for the way that you read scripture, 
What are some of the high-level things you would tell them about, hey, here's how I approach the Bible? So the first thing I want everyone to understand is we look at the Bible as a book, but it's really a library. It's a library of 66 different books that all are in different categories. So there's different kinds of literature in a library, right? In the Bible, there's different kinds of literature. There's, hey, I even brought a bookmark. So I'm giving that to you. So you now have a new gift, a bookmark that lists the different type of literature in the Bible. So there's the books of the law. There's the books of history, poetry, major prophets, minor prophets. What does major and minor mean? Major means they're longer. Minor means they're shorter. It doesn't mean they're more important. Then there's the Gospels, which is the story of Jesus. And then there's a history book in the book of Acts in the New Testament. Then there's letters and there's apocalyptic literature or prophecy literature. So there's all kinds of literature. So the first thing I say is when you're reading, know what you're reading. Know what type of literature you're reading. Just when you're reading books, you don't re- approach reading books the same way. If you read, let's use the example of a historical fiction. When you read historical fiction, you read it differently than you would read a history book. So it's the same thing with the Bible. Approach it, know what you're reading. And then the next thing I say is look at, look at what you're reading in context of the time, the author who wrote it. Know a little bit about what it is that you're reading. And that's helpful. And the most important thing is don't be afraid to not understand, to be confused, to be disgusted sometimes, to be concerned, perplexed, joy-filled. It hits you at the right place. All of those emotions, don't be afraid of them. How do you approach scripture in a way, because you you already talked about uh, what I'll call like a buffet style uh, reading where I'm going to pick out a specific verse and use it to further my own agenda, my own interest. How do you make sure that you're reading scripture in a way that opens your heart to God as opposed to confirming your own biases and using it as a tool to affirm your worldview? That's a tough question, Alyssa, because the truth is we can't do that. We're going to always, without even realizing it, we're going to bring our bias to the table even when we don't realize we brought our bias to the table. I am very aware, and people in my Bible studies laugh, because I highlight any verse that has to do with building women up Mm -hmm. or tearing women down, because I'm a, a woman that believes firmly in all rights, equal rights for women. And yeah, you're so, like an OG feminist. There you go. <laughs> so so I can't help but notice those when somebody else didn't even notice them. And so I think it's hard not to bring your bias. So what you do is you take the time to understand the context. Like I never recommend, if someone's going to pick out a verse, always read the verse before, the whole, you know, the chapter before, the chapter after, get a feel for what takes place. A good example of that is, I bet you even know, the famous verse that everyone uses at high school graduation. 
Jeremiah. Oh, Jeremiah 29, 11. Which says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to some... Prosper. I got, okay, You've done I good. did good. Plans to <laughs> I prosper, I don't have a lot of Bible stuff memorized. Yeah. But everybody used that as high school graduation. Like God has their plan mm-hmm. in place. But if you read what it says, it says, and in 70 years, in 70 years... You'll come out of exile because it's talking to the group of Israelites that are in exile at the time. Well, a high school senior isn't thinking, okay, in 70 years, I'll have a good plan. (laughs) Or like... Because guess what? That's 90. (laughs) It is weird that like we read the Bible as if God is speaking directly to us in this modern time. But the scripture like that, that time has come and gone. Like that uh, was a moment in time for the Israelite people um, that has already played out. And yet we use that verse so often to make the statement that God has a plan for you. Exactly. And that's always bothered me too of like, well for every single individual person on the planet, billions of people, God has a plan for every single individual living being like it. It's. And so I take statements like that and I wrestle with them and I don't have clear answers. And in my Bible studies, I encourage people to give me what they think of it. And there are going to be people that say, well, it's really clear. Mm -hmm. God has a plan for each and every individual. And then I will say, you know what? I just, don't see it that way. I see it differently. So I allow myself to have questions. I allow allow myself to ponder yeah. and wonder and go deeper. And that helps. But you do need to read things in context. It's also helpful to know a little bit about the author and when it was written and the history around it. And then remember, it's not a history book. It yeah. is um, you know, a library that chronicles the faith journey of a group of people. Mm-hmm. Well, and and even that conversation that you said you had with someone is a perfect example of how our own cultural biases inform the way we read scripture, because in Western culture, everything is extremely individualized. Mm -hmm. And so we are constantly thinking of my relationship with God, what God has in store for me. God has a relationship with me and God has a plan for me. And in Eastern culture and Eastern Christianity, God has a plan for humanity. God has a plan for the world, but it's not necessarily on an individual level because in the United States we're like it's all about independence (laughs) well and it's and it's helpful to understand like when you read the Hebrew scriptures what we call the Old Testament those are written from a Jewish Jewish perspective so it's helpful to look a little bit at what a Jewish perspective is and I'm certainly not an authority on the Jewish perspective but I do know that everything is attributed to God All of the good is because of God. All the bad is because of God. Everything is attributed to God. In my Western thinking, I don't ascribe to that same thinking. Well, and it's not not just the Jewish perspective. It's the Jewish perspective from 4,000 years ago. Exactly. (laughs) My guess is the Jewish perspective has changed this since then. Um, I don't know. I I mean, honestly, I don't know enough about Judaism. No, and at the same time, it's beautiful. Isn't it beautiful to, to... to have that kind of a faith in God is beautiful. So you look at that and you and you think about it. And so I guess the words I would use is approach the Bible a little gentler 
than than you think you should, where you think you're going to approach it with it's going to be right and wrong, black and white, clear, and all of that, and it's not. So be gentle on yourself. Well, I think that a lot of people turn to the Bible as a book of answers. If I'm struggling with something and I am having trouble making a decision in life or I'm having trouble with a relationship or finances or whatever it might be, I turn to the Bible to find answers. And I think a lot of us turn to scripture in times of desperation. We're just like looking for something to hold on to. Is there something wrong with that or is that okay to do? It's absolutely beautiful. Okay. It's absolutely beautiful. And then again, no, if you've read through the Bible, that's going to come easier to you. You're going to know where your comfort verses are, where you're going to turn to. When I'm angry and feeling frustrated, there are so many Psalms that are filled with anger and frustration. And oh, the Psalms of lament are amazing. Yeah. And they're great. They can just get all up in your feelings. <laughs> and they can articulate things in a way that I can't even tell you what's going on in my brain. And so that's helpful to me. But I, I have had, when I was in my 20s, I remember a lady at our church who I really admired who said, you know, when I'm struggling, I just open the book and let it fall and put my finger and I always get the answer I need. And so I was struggling one day and I tried it and it was some obscure passage from Obadiah that meant... Go and marry a prostitute. (laughs) That's one of the the Obadiah scriptures because I've done that before too. And my finger landed on that verse and I was like, well, okay, God has a sense of humor. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, it meant nothing to me. And so... I am not saying that that doesn't work oh, for actually, some people. I think that's Hosea. It is Hosea. I wasn't going to correct you, but you can correct okay. me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, by by the same token, I'm not going to discount somebody that finds great comfort in that because that's their way of comfort. That's not my way of comfort. Mm-hmm. My way of comfort is knowing where I need to turn because I've read through it. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not the person you say I've read the Bible. 15 times, but I'm not the person that's going to spout chapter and verse to you. Yeah, I have a, an inkling of where it is. Yeah. So with that well, inkling, I can find it. But I also <laughs> think it's helpful because you've read through the Bible so many times, it's really easy for you to identify something that's not in the Bible. And if someone tries to manipulate scripture in a way or tries to teach something that just is off kilter using scripture as a reference, since you have read through it so many times, even though you can't maybe quote an entire chapter or something, you can say, you know what, I I, I don't think that that's accurate. Well, and even we were in, in the Bible study I'm leading now on the apostles, we were looking at. James, who is called James the Younger in some versions and James the Less in other versions. And so when you go back to the Greek word for that, you find out it could be both meanings. So it's the interpreter Mm. that put in whether it was younger or less. And for us in Western culture, those mean two very different things. But in the Greek word, it it was a word used for, so, you know, there's all of that too. So remember any English version we're reading is a translation. Yeah. And in, you can, what is it they say? You can lose things in translation. translation. Yeah. (laughs) So remembering all that is helpful to me when I read. And I've had so many people 
that are af- that get bogged down in reading the Bible because they have more questions than answers and or they get perplexed and they're like I yeah I can't subscribe to this and it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. You can still love it and even have all that. I'm still perplexed by some things. So how can you give us some examples of stories in which understanding culture and context is extremely important when you're reading those scriptures? I'll give you an example. It's not a story, but here's an example that people use all of the time. And this is going to take us down a tangent that you might not want to go. But I love a good tangent. <laughs> in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I can't tell you the exact verse, there's the verse that people always use to talk about inerrancy. Um, reading the Bible, that the Bible is God-breathed. It talks about everything in Scripture is God-breathed. Some versions say inspired. Mm -hmm. So here's my example. All Scripture, Paul wrote, all Scripture is inspired. So first of all, you have to think, okay, when did Paul write that? Because guess what? The New Testament didn't exist. Yeah. Paul and did was Paul not, know that he was going to become scripture? I, <laughs> that always boggles my mind thinking about how Paul's letters have now become Bible. And I am almost 100% sure, guessing, 100% guessing, that Paul never thought his letters would become authority to anybody. They were just letters. And by the way, his letters, here's another example, his letters spanned about 20 plus years Mm -hmm. from the first one written to the last one written. I don't know about you. I've changed a lot in 20 plus years. So even some of my views may evolve Mm. and grow and change. Isn't it possible that Paul's did too? And so we have to take that into consideration, that what was he even talking about when he said Scripture is inspired? So, so back to 2 Timothy 3, you, you were bringing that up to talk about culture and context, and it brought up inerrancy? Yes. Because that is an ongoing debate within is. the church, uh, is how to treat Scripture and uh, can you question it? A lot of people who believe in the inerrancy of scripture say there, it is not possible for there to be a mistake or a contradiction in scripture um, because it is God breathed. It is God's words put on paper. So there cannot be mistakes. And then the people who are God inspired say, yes, this scripture was inspired by the heart of God, but we understand that it was written by humans. And so things get lost or culture gets in the way or individual biases, as we've already uh, brought up, show themselves because we're human or people grow and change and see something differently as they have encountered different experiences. So obviously I ascribe just from what we've said to the inspired and not the inerrancy, but I'm going to even say, you know, different viewpoints can look at the exact same event and have a different way of explaining it. In the Hebrew scriptures, we have, uh, First Chronicles that almost exactly mirrors some of the content in Kings and Samuels, almost exactly mirrors it. But Chronicles is from a priestly tradition, 
And the other is from more of a historical tradition. And it seems like they contradict each other, but they're telling it from a different viewpoint. Mm. And so to me, that says there is humanness in there, a different viewpoint is humanness in there. And so that's important to me. Another example is the book of Mark. So the book of Mark ends, the original book of Mark ends with the women going to the tomb and seeing that the stone has been rolled away and that it is empty and then going home in fear and trepidation. It's funny that you bring that up because the last three podcast episodes in a row, I think we have mentioned the weird ending of Mark as we were like heading into Easter. Um, so it's funny that we're bringing it up again, but it is, I mean, it's kind of, it kind of makes people uncomfortable and obviously it made the religious leaders uncomfortable enough that they felt like we need to put an addendum in here. So we need to add it. And so here's, yeah, exactly. And so they added it. Now, was Mark wrong in ending it there? No, he probably thought, well, everybody knows the rest of the story. I don't need to tell the rest of the story. I just wanted to get this stuff out. But, you know, and that was his way of writing. He left a cliffhanger and that was fine with him. But then other leaders come in later. And here's something else I'm going to bring out um, that I contemplate often. The Bible as the inspired word of God, and I love the Bible, and I read it that way, but I also read other authors, modern day authors, who I think have shared some very inspirational words. Because they're not in the Bible, does, does that mean I have to discount what they're saying for my own spiritual growth? No. Don't you think that every pastor that gets up on Sunday and shares a word has prayed for inspiration mm -hmm. from God? And there's somebody in that audience that says, that was just for me today. And that is every bit as an inspired word of God. Well, and, and equally important. Yeah, but going outside of that, people will say that's inspired by God because it's rooted in scripture when someone's preaching. So like, but I, I think that there is plenty of poetry in the world that isn't Christian, isn't you, it doesn't have scripture in the base of it, but when you read it, it connects you to divine energy and humanity in a way that you think this is inspired by God. Um, is it going to be scripture that people study and, and center like how they know God? No, probably not. But uh, it's, a, it's a look into how another human being connects into a divine spirit, however they define that divine spirit. So I think poetry is a really beautiful example of modern day writings that are also inspired by God. Right. And then, you is know, that blasphemous for me to say? I don't think so. Okay. That's there again. I, I need to have like a pastor sitting in the corner when I record these episodes maybe, so that they can fact check and say, no, no, that is blasphemy. Don't. <laughs> maybe both of us need that. Yeah. Because I'm not ordained either. So there you go. Um, but I mean, there are going to be those that say that disagree with everything we've just said. And that is great. Mm -hmm. Disagree, but let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's, let's have a discussion. And instead of saying you're wrong, let's say, you know what? 
I'm looking at it differently and I celebrate the fact that you're looking at it differently. And the bottom line is my faith is growing and so is yours. Yeah. And well, that's what's in the big story. The and big that's story. one of the things that I've actually always respected and loved about the, uh, about the Jewish faith. It's rooted in debate. I wish we did more of that. I know debate makes a lot of people uncomfortable, but I love it. But that's a very important context. When we go back to what the scripture passage from 2 Timothy that we were talking about, where Paul said all scripture is inspired, he was a rab. He was he was learned under one of the most famous rabbis is mm-hmm. who his teacher was. And so he had experienced that that even in the Hebrew scriptures that they re- he revered so much, there weren't clear answers to every single thing. They debated what it meant and changed and grew. And and that's what we should still be doing today while respecting everybody's right to their own interpretation. And, you know, even when you pick up your Bible version that you've chosen to read and there's notes at the bottom, you're still getting someone's interpretation. You're getting a human interpretation. When you take a Bible study that has commentary, you're getting a human interpretation. So remember that. Remember that. So how how do you educate yourself on all of these things? Because what it's sounding like to me is if we are to read the Bible responsibly, it's not just reading the Bible. Like there's a lot of extra work that goes into it because you understanding the culture context, who wrote it, the time it was written in all of these things. That's a lot of extra work. How do you do it? So not everybody's going to have the passion to do that. So, so if you're going to read the Bible individually, you might you might um, read some of the notes or, or something like that. Or you might just start out to read it just to, or let me even say, start out by listening to it and, and hear it as poetry or hear it as, you know, in all those different kind of library books that I was talking about. Oh, yeah, because with the version app, you can, you can, you listen, can listen to, to it, it, which yeah. is beautiful. But also, there, we call it Bible study. And study once you're an adult, it's like, I don't want to go back to study. But being in community with others to wrestle with that, you might have someone in the group like me that's done the work. And then you can just absorb it and say, oh, now I understand or now I get it. So that's helpful too. I use all kinds of sources, including Google. But when I read Google, and there's times that I read, I I printed off something today that I was going to use as we were talking, and I got to one paragraph, and it's like, nope, that's not how I believe, and it's like I can't subscribe to that. Well, that's the the problem with Google too is that it's based on an algorithm, and so however we're searching on Google, we're just going to get results returned to us uh, that confirm our biases. Right. But there are good sources out there that are helpful, not complete, but, you know, a, a Bible dictionary is is pretty helpful. And I particularly like ones that when you look up an entry um, and it'll say, it'll say, you know, um, we don't know much about, but we think, and, you know, it doesn't use this definitive language. Uh Watch out for sources that are, it is clear, Mm. it is proven, it is right. Because 
we don't necessarily have any of that information. Well, that that makes me think about the way that we view the Bible. So I think that a trap that we fall into because the Bible is the closest thing that we have to like a written understanding of who God is, right? But sometimes we elevate it to the point that we're worshiping the Bible rather than worshiping God. And I know it's like a really confusing line of, am I elevating the Bible too much to where it's no longer a spiritual resource, resource but I see it as God in the form of a book. We can even do that with a commentator. If we like a commentator that that or a scholar that d- has done a lot of research, we might put them on a pedestal and, and put more importance on them than what it is. So when you're reading the Bible, always think about what does this passage say about humanity? What does this passage say about God? What does it say to me in my current context? So I've looked at what it said to them in their context, but let's talk about what it says to me in my context today. And it might be that you get a whole different meaning from it. Mm-hmm. And just to let you know, um, I kept, because those earlier Bible studies that I told you that got me really interested in Bible studies, I kept those. I kept all my notes. And so if I would go and do the same thing again, like let's talk about the road to the cross, I pulled it out and I read my notes and it's like, oh, I don't believe that. I don't believe this anymore (laughs) at all. Yeah. I interpret it differently because I've grown and I've changed. And, and guess what? There's better interpretation tools too. There are more people that'll say scholars don't think this person wrote this book anymore or they've dated they've done some more dating and they've figured out more when this may have been written and or they've excavated and done some archaeological research you know there's more information every day Mm. that helps us to grow and learn and get excited there are a lot of people who um don't engage with scripture and don't want to read the bible because Bible verses have been taken out and used against Mm. them, either on an individual level or against someone that they love. Um, How can someone overcome that hurt to start reading again? What advice would you have for them if they're like, you know, I want to grow in my relationship with God. I want to read the Bible, but it's too painful. There are many, many people that have experienced the Bible being used as a weapon. And there are many, many people that unknowingly have done that very thing as well. And I'll tell one on myself that you might not even remember. But there was a time when you and I were having a fight, which wasn't all that unusual when you were in middle school and early high school years. And I threw a Bible verse at you. And I remember you saying, would you just stop quoting the Bible to me? And I, it took me, it took my breath away because I realized I wasn't using the Bible to help. I was using the Bible to hurt. And that was not helpful to you. It was not helpful to me and my understanding of the Bible, but it taught me that humans can make mistakes when they use these sacred texts Mm -hmm. and use them in harmful ways. 
So when someone has been deeply hurt by the Bible, it's hard to know whether it was a human that interpreted passages to them that hurt them or if they just read it and are struggling with it. It's hard to know that answer. But I would encourage someone to start the journey again, start the journey again, and do some of the things we've already talked about. Read it, um, read it within context. Recognize that anything in English is a translation. Go back and look up what maybe the Greek word meant, how it may, or the Hebrew word, how it may have been, you know, do some extra work. And certainly don't be afraid to get a spiritual advisor that, uh, that will help you and walk that journey with you. And that could just be somebody that reads the Bible regularly and, uh, and is willing to allow you to have questions. And I'll, I'll give you a, an example that's pretty clear. I that clear. I can't use that word, can I? I already said don't ever say clear. But an example from my youth ministry years, where um, a woman had been very abused by her father, and for her, any reference to God as Father was harmful and hurtful. And so we looked for a translation of the Bible that was pretty gender neutral. That's the Bible version I'm currently reading is the CEB, which tries to be as gender, gender neutral as possible. And so that's helpful to her because, and I, and I, in my conversations with her, I said, you don't need to think of God that way. You can think, how do you see God? And when she started describing to me how she saw God, I was like, that is fine. That's an exercise that my a therapist did with me a couple of years ago because I was really struggling with uh, my understanding of God and how God had been presented to me throughout my life. And I was at the beginning of my deconstruction journey. And he basically gave me an assignment and said, okay, this week I want you to write down a list of all of the things, all of the characteristics you wish described God, all of the things that you wished God was. And so I wrote down everything that I wanted God to be and I brought it back. And he's like, I have good news for you. Everything that you've written down is who God is. Mm -hmm. And Absolutely. it was such a renewing and rejuvenating exercise for me of like, I don't have to, um, stick to the stereotypes that have been taught to me about God that oftentimes weren't scriptural or it was taken out of context or all of the ways that the, you know, um, corporate church has decided to put labels on who God is to try and teach about God in a mass way doesn't mean that that's absolutely who God is. And so I think just being able to expand your understanding of who God is God is, is really helpful. And I also think something that was really helpful for me, instead of reading the Bible, is to read books about the Bible. <laughs> and Absolutely. So like a book that was really helpful to me that I always go back to is Making Sense of the Bible by Adam Hamilton. Um, 
that does kind of walk through all the things that you talked about in the beginning of uh, the books that are actually poetry, the books that are history. And it does do a really great job of walking through the context and the culture of each of the books of the Bible so that you have that background for each thing. And to me, that was more palatable than opening the Bible itself. And then it was reading books like that that slowly brought me back to opening up my Bible or just doing like in the version app, I keep bringing it up, just doing like the weekly devotions or reading plans that they have in there. It feels more digestible uh, than just saying, okay, I'm going to sit down every morning and open scripture, you know. And if you want to actually engage more with the Bible, I and you've never done that before. Um, individually, I wouldn't stay, say start with Genesis and read to Revelation. I would say start in the Gospels. Read the book of Mark. It's the shortest. It's 16 chapters. Read the book of Mark and, and, and go through that. And then go back and read Luke and Acts, which is a grand adventure. And then read Matthew and John. And, you know, do it that way and get... And get a little bit of that, then read Genesis, which is stories. And then if you're ready to read all the way through, I absolutely believe doing it in community is really helpful. And you can establish with the community you read through the Bible ahead of time and say, you know, one of the things as we read through the Bible together is we're going to have different interpretations and it's okay. And establish that right away. And I want to hear your interpretation, and I want to hear your interpretation, and we can be miles apart and still absolutely enjoy this reading the Bible together. So I feel like the conclusions that I'm coming to around how I can read the Bible responsibly is... One, realize that anyone who is teaching or preaching uh, about scripture, it is their interpretation. They are, it is not from a factual perspective. Uh, Also, remember, it's the same for me. I have my own biases. And so everything that I think about scripture is an interpretation, which I should not force on other people. And I can allow other people to be in different places than I am. And uh, I, if I think that my way is the only way to interpret scripture, then I'm getting something wrong. Um, And then to just Go easy on yourself, take it slow, and um, be curious. Be curious about what you're reading and either do research yourself or find someone like Denise who's super passionate about it to be your Bible buddy uh, who will do the research for you. (laughs) And don't be afraid to ask tough questions. There is some great books. I mean, there are some great books in the Bible that are fun to read. Um, The Book of Esther fun to read. But there's some perplexing things in the book of Esther. There's um, sex trafficking. Yeah. There's... Man, the book of Esther sets me on a feminist rant like you wouldn't believe. (laughs) But as a literature... I love it. It is, it is it's like fascinating. an extremely captivating story. It's got irony. It's got all kinds of things as literature. But it's okay to step back and say, wait a minute. This may have been culturally acceptable at the time, but this is wrong. 
Yeah. It's okay to say that. Yeah. Well, but then also to think about like, even though it was socially acceptable in the culture and in the time, it doesn't mean that Esther wasn't oppressed and that she wasn't having any feeling that you can imagine yourself having now to be in that situation. She was probably feeling and wrestling with. And it, and it is interesting. That is one of the things I love about scripture. It's trying to put myself in the place of the different characters. And because that's the one thing that with the exception of the poetic books of the Bible, we miss out a lot on the human element mm-hmm. of the emotion and uh, what people are feeling and thinking. It's more about what people are doing. <laughs> well, and that's a good um, Bible study technique is when you read a passage, think about what am I hearing? What am I seeing? What am I feeling? Maybe even what would I smell? if I was in this situation. And it's helpful to get some of those emotions in and and think about what were they feeling? Mm-hmm. We don't know the answers, but isn't it fun to wrestle with it? I think I think that's what I love about it so much. And I want to say that the Bible inspires me. It brings me comfort. Sometimes it, like I said, it perplexes me. But I gain so much from it. I actually can honestly tell you that in reading the Bible is how I hear God's voice in my life more than any other way. I know there's many, many people that talk about music being that way. For me, it's reading the Bible. And if you've never read the Bible, you don't know. Maybe it might be the way that you might hear God's voice. Well, thank you for uh, doing all of your prep work and and walking us through this. And I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. If y'all got questions about the Bible, uh, (laughs) Denise Robinson is the person to turn to because if she doesn't know the answer, she's passionate and curious and she will find it or find not an answer, but give you a whole bunch of information that you never knew you needed. More than you wanted to know. Thank you so much. The Life Plus God podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson, and sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if Treach could be your new church family. You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org, and I hope to catch you next week for our next episode of the Life Plus God podcast.